Hear now the word of the Lord. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands, and let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us draw together near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths of his feet have not trodden. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They've drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it's good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servants, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest, farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servants. I've not, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be nothing at all. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It's I who say to you, fear not. I'm the one who helps you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, what an invitation to us. That you say to us, do not be afraid, for you are with us. Do not be dismayed, for you are our God, and you promise to strengthen us, to help us, and to uphold us. So as we open your word, God, do that. Would you help us, strengthen us, and uphold us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that I, I find really humorous this time of, of year is how much energy we adults invest in trying to make Santa not creepy to children. Uh, because the photo evidence is very, is very clear. Kids don't like Santa, and we have to, we have to get them to like Santa. And so, uh, so I want to show this three years ago, the first photo of Abel with Santa. Uh, right, let's get a close-up of that face, um, right? <laughs> Seasons, uh, seasons greetings from Abel, right? That's what he thinks of Santa. And so uh, we, we did another Santa trip uh, a few uh, weeks ago, early December, where it's, where it's getting a little better, and yet still, um, that does not look like three comfortable children. Um, <clears throat> my oldest, uh, Isaiah there on, on, uh, on your left, uh, he's got a smile like, uh, Santa, please take your hand off me. <clears throat> Micah, here on, the, uh, on your, my left, uh, he's typically like really photogenic, like smiles really great for cameras, but it, it's almost like he's singing to himself, if, uh, if, I, if I smile, Santa will let me live. Uh, and then Abel, uh, clearly the body posture is not of someone who wants to be there uh, right now. And my favorite uh, is if you get a close-up of how he's holding his hands. Uh, just, like, why do we do that to kids? Uh, like, the Santa story is not even that good um, to begin with. But uh, and that... that we invest a lot of uh, energy in trying to make Santa not creepy to our children. But kids, like initially, they're, 
their reaction to Santa is paralyzing fear. And we are, like, this shouldn't surprise us. We're, we're born into a world with, uh, with a lot to be suspicious of, right? A lot to, to fear. And ultimately, it's only through, like, really healthy and good relationships to others that, that we don't just live a life of fear, life of being afraid. And it's into this reality uh, of fear that God has something to say in Isaiah 41, He says this in verse 10. This is really the heart of the passage. He says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so into a world where I bet every one of us came in this morning afraid of something, anxious about something, fearing something. And it's into that that reality we live, God says, don't, don't be afraid. And it's easy for him to say, he's God, obviously, and yet there's something really powerful here in Isaiah 41, and I want to unpack the way God invites you and I into a life free of, of fear. And I want to, it's kind of three things I want to say out of this. One is, if we're going to move out of living in fear to fearless living, uh, you have to receive the king, you have to swallow the medicine, and take his hand. So first, re- receive the king. Uh, it was two weeks ago uh, that I preached on the end of Isaiah 40. And the last line in Isaiah 40, it's a pretty famous line. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's worth underlining or highlighting in your Bible. But God in Isaiah 40 was primarily speaking to Israel, to his people, like almost you know, like the church, people who already knew him. And it was an invitation for them to make him their, ki- to make him their king and that he would renew them. He would make them new. And so the last line in Isaiah 40 Uh, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so this is an invitation to people who know God. Like, come and know me and be renewed. And now what's happening in Isaiah 41 is God is, he's expanding that invitation out to the entire world. It's not just for Israel anymore. The entire world now can come and know God as their king. And so verse 1 of verse 41 says, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. This is the islands, places that are not Israel. Let the peoples renew their strength. The word peoples there is a word that, that is specifically refers to people who are not Israel. Let the peoples renew their strength. And that's the same phrase that's in verse 31 of Isaiah 40. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now God says to everyone, let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. So God is he's inviting the world to know him as king, and the reason he's inviting them to know them, know him as king, is because everyone's afraid. And the reason they're afraid, it's in verses two through four. And and what's happening there is is some ruler is has gained a lot of power um, and is quickly conquering the nations around him. And in that day, like that would be a very terrifying prospect. Most people, you know, we live in a country that's relatively stable, and you know, we've not had. I mean, really, the United States, the only invading war, uh, you know. Pearl Harbor, like that's distant from, we've never feared an invading army. And yet in the ancient world, that was a pretty typical normal fear. And when a king or a, a ruler began to, to rise up and gain power, like you'd be terrified that he was going to come to your city, take over your place, drive you out of your home or kill you or, or destroy you. And so here there's a ruler um, and, and later he'll be identified as Cyrus. And we're not going to go into that detail this morning, but this, this ruler has, rose, has risen up. He has enormous power. He's taking over the world and people are, they're afraid. 
And it's into that um, reality where God says uh, something in verse 4 that we're going to spend most of our time this morning unpacking, where God says, basically of this ruler everyone's afraid of, God says, who's performed and done this, calling generations from the beginning, I the Lord the first, and with the last I am he. And that's confusing, but what God's saying is, like, I'm actually the king, you don't need to be afraid of him. And actually, I knew he was going to do this, and I, because I, I knew everything that happened in the past, and I know everything that will happen in the future, and I'm in complete control of history, not this ruler. So don't be afraid of him, um, but receive me as king. Now, that's what's going on there in Isaiah 41. And, and, and so God is inviting the world to receive him as king, the one who controls history. And that sounds all really nice, like to receive God as king, right? We sing about Jesus this time of year as, as, as king, um, this Christmas season. And yet, this, does, this creates a problem for us in our culture today. And the problem is, is this. There was a, there's a book that came out a couple years ago uh, by an author named Tom Nichols. He, uh, um, he's an author. He, uh, he teaches at the, the Naval War College. But he wrote a book called The Death of Expertise. And the basic gist of the book was that we, in our culture today, we no longer trust experts. So if someone comes with a Ph.D. and says, you know, I've studied this, like, for a long time, and this is what I think, we're like, yeah, but I, I read this thing on Facebook, and so I think you're wrong. And even though he has a PhD, like, we have Facebook, and so we're very, and that's a very crude way of putting it, but that's, like, that, that's what's happening now, is people have a very a mistrust of, of experts. And, and so Nichols, that's one part of the book, but the, the bigger part, which I think is relevant for us as we think about God as king, um, is this. He, he writes, these are dangerous times. Never have so many people had access to so much knowledge and yet been so resistant to learning anything. And he goes, he takes his argument in directions of the book. I don't agree with necessarily. Um, But he's right on this, that our culture, we are so self-confident in our opinions. We'll just like write off people with a different viewpoint, even if they like have done lots of research or bring lots of arguments or weights to what they're saying. We're so self-confident in ourselves we can't hear opposing viewpoints. We're resistant to learning. And we're especially resistant to learning from others who are experts. And obviously this is a problem with God because God is like the ultimate expert. And what he's saying in Isaiah 41 is I know all of history. In fact, I'm, I'm the cause of all of history and I'm the cause of all that's to come. And so when God invites us to know him as king, like he's not inviting us as a good, some, someone who has good advice for us, as someone who can occasionally offer a suggestion about how we might think about living sometime, at some point. Like God, he is, like he's the first. He's the, he's the king. And we are, we are incredibly resistant to that. Incredibly resistant to anyone telling us what to do, how to live, that we're wrong. And yet, the only way you can know God is to know God as king. And yet here's what's interesting about that is, is God does not approach us as, as king saying, I'm the king, you better bow before me. Right, like uh, if you remember the old movie Jafar in Aladdin. And we're, we're watching this with my kids right now, to be clear. But like Jafar, at the end of Aladdin, um, there's this moment when he tries to get the sultan and Princess Jasmine to bow before him, but they won't do it. And so he, like, he asks Jeannie to become a sorcerer, and then he, he, you know, he forces them to bow before them, against their, their will. And that, but yet, like, even though God has more power, power even than Jafar and Aladdin, um, he, doesn't, like, he doesn't do that to us. Like, he's the king of the universe. He controls all of history, what, what was in the past and what is to come. And yet, he's, his invitation to us to know him as king 
is fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Like it's a, that, Kings don't say that. And I think that's even why we might be even more tempted to, to, to just ignore God in certain things. To not listen to him, to not take seriously what he said, or to not, not realize that when we pray or when we read the scriptures, when we encounter God, we're encountering the first, the last. Not like this isn't a personal assessment. This isn't a life coach. This isn't someone who you should think about their advice. He knows everything. He is the expert. Whatever he says is what we should do. And that's the only way you can know him. You can't know God taking little bits and pieces. You know, listening to some things, ignore You can't know God like that. He's the king. He's the first. He's the last. And that's where he starts. If you want to be free of fear, you can't know God in bits and pieces. You have to know him as, as king. And so that's where we start. You have to receive him as king, one. But secondly, uh, you have to swallow the medicine. And <clears throat> this is fresh for me because I had a, like a three-week-long cold. I don't know if any of you had that. It was like a cold. It was the cold that never went away and just stayed there. And I eventually got so desperate, I went and got the cough medicine that you drink, uh, which is Robitussin. Uh, I don't know if any of you have, how many of you have had that. Well, there, there's two flavors of Robitussin. Uh, one is grape, which I think still exists, and it's delicious. Like it's, sorry, Jake, I disagreed. Grape is, grape is delicious, and it's like dessert, but it's always sold out. And they have another kind, which is like, like if death was to bleed, this is what it would be. This is the, this is the cough medicine. It's so terrible. And it's, it's some kind of berry. They, they, they call it a type of berry. There's no berry that tastes like that, at least in my experience. And so the grape, it's always sold out, and I always have to buy this kind. And I remember going back to it as a child, like my parents would never have the grape. Very rarely would they have the grape. They'd almost always have the death blood berry, whatever that was. And, and my dad, he'd get it in a spoon, and he'd say, you have to drink this. And when you, you're going to feel better, but you have, you have to drink this down. And, and I, just like a couple weeks ago, that's what I, I had that medicine, and literally I'm like, all right, Tim, if you drink this, you will feel better, but you got, you got to be, it's, it's that terrible. And Isaiah 41, uh, it has medicine like that. Um, because as encouraging as it sounds initially that God is in complete control of history, he knows everything that happened, and he knows everything that will happen. While initially that sounds really encouraging and strengthening and hopeful, the reality is when really, truly awful things happen to you, to this world, um, God doesn't get, let, try to be let off the hook of that. God's answer to evil is not, well, I didn't know about it. Like, it's not my fault. Or I, you know, like Cyrus, he's, he's, he's gaining power and he's taking over cities and lands. And God is saying, I knew, I knew that was going to happen. And I didn't stop it. And all the things you're afraid of, I was well aware of before they, they happened. And, and that, that's the medicine you have to take. God allows really, truly awful things into this world. And there's no way around that. And we try to make ways um, around that, but, but we can't. And Isaiah is being very specific about this. He's saying the reason why you don't have to, to fear is because God is in complete control of history and nothing ever happens outside of his power, his purview, his strength. And there are only three ways to deal with this. Right? You know, you can try to avoid drinking it down, uh, the medicine. And I also want to be clear, like, if, like, if you just learn, like, you know, you have terminal cancer and, and cancer in two months to live, like, this is not a helpful sermon. Like, to be clear, like, this is something you have to take long before the day comes. Um, 
And so I want to be clear about like this is not meant to be encouraging to people who are suffering right now. This is like this is this is hard medicine that that needs to be taken in. And yet Isaiah's primary point here is the reason why you don't have to fear in a world with all kinds of things to be afraid of is because God's in complete control of history. So don't be afraid. And there's only three ways to deal with evil in this world, in the presence of it. In the, the three ways. The first is to say, well, because there's so much evil, there can't be a God. <clears throat> and that's sort of what the the rest of the world does. And so in verse, in verse 6, as I said, like God's inviting the whole world to know him as king, and most of the world will say, no, no thanks. And so in verse 6, they have to deal with what they're afraid of. And in verse 6, they're dealing with what they're afraid of. And so what, what it says is everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. All right, so if there's no God, like that's all you can say about evil is, well, good, t- tough it out. Be strong. And yeah, like I think... Whether you're, like, you believe in God or not, like, surely, like, that doesn't, that doesn't meet any of, of what we feel emotionally or um, just in our gut about evil, about what's wrong with this world. To illustrate that, you know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, my Aunt Sandy passed away. I went to Chicago and did the funeral. Um, and one of the things that my Uncle Chuck uh, <clears throat> and was very clear about that he, you know, that he wanted to be made known at the funeral was that my aunt, uh, who had Alzheimer's, uh, Alzheimer's did not defeat her. Like, he's very clear about that. Like, Alzheimer's did not defeat my aunt. And I was, like, sitting there listening to him say, say that. On the one hand, like, my super cynical human side was like, yes, it did. <laughs> like, she, like, she died of, of Alzheimer's. She, like, that's, like, she lost. Um, and yet, that's not what he's saying. What he was saying was what my heart knows to be true, which is that evil in our world doesn't get the last word. Evil, that's, that's not how the world works. Even though it is how the world works. It's not how the world works. There's something emotionally feeling that we see this world and we think Alzheimer's doesn't win. Right? Evil doesn't, doesn't win. And so the reason why ultimately like, I can't go to the place where well, there's evil, therefore there's no God, is it doesn't make sense of my emotions, my feelings, the way I experience the world. But that is one path, is there's so much evil there can't be a God. The second is... Um, and some religious people try to do this, is that there, there's, there's a lot of evil because God ultimately can't see the future in entirety. And there are some Christians who kind of, they, they teach this. Like, well, God doesn't know the future in entirety, and so there's some things that happen that God just didn't foresee, uh, didn't know that would happen. And, and that, ultimately, that doesn't help us, or that's, that doesn't work for a few reasons. One is that the Bible, um, here in Isaiah, throughout the Isaiah 40s, Isaiah really mocks the idea of a God who doesn't know the future. Actually, God mocks the idea of a God or a religion that doesn't know the, or that doesn't know the future. And this is actually where the end of Isaiah 41 um, goes. And so later, uh, God is, he's, he's sort of laying out a case against idols, against other gods, other religions. And here's what he says about them. Um, he says, let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Right? Bring your idols. Bring your other gods. Let them tell us what is to happen. Let, tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know you are gods. Do good, do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. And the, the point, what Isaiah is saying is if, if, if a God doesn't know the future, if the God's not in control of history, it's not a God. And you shouldn't worship it. You shouldn't give your life to it. That God can't help you with your fear. And so that, that, like Isaiah is saying, like, God is in complete control of history, and that is why you don't have anything 
to fear. He knows where everything's headed. And so those, those two answers to the evil don't work biblically. They don't work practically. And so the Bible's answer, which is this is, this is the Robitussin, right? This is the drink. You have to drink this down. It's not good. It doesn't taste well. Um, and that medicine is that there is evil, and God knows all of it and is not surprised or shocked by any, any of it because he is in complete control of history. And if that's true, there's a couple of things that flow from that. One is if, if that's true, that means no suffering is meaningless. All right, in other words, if, if God doesn't know something awful is going to happen and then it happens, then it's a mistake, right? It's, well, that's an accident, and we don't know what's going to happen from that. And ultimately, accidents are meaningless, right? There's no meaning to them. They're a mistake. If instead God actually has control of history, then it means he's directing everything that's evil and wrong and broken towards a narrative of redemption and salvation and grace. Of course, the best example of that is the cross, right? Jesus was innocent. He was taken to a cross. He was murdered. He was killed. And God used that innocent suffering and injustice to be a means of salvation to you and me. And that becomes the paradigm for all evil and suffering. Is that If God's in control of history, it means all evil and, and, and injustice and wrong is, is redirected into redemption and salvation. And, 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 but if God doesn't know that's going to happen, we, you don't know that, right? It's, 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 suffering ultimately is, is meaningless. But, but secondly, and this is ultimately the Bible's answer to, to the existence of evil is not a justification of it, an explanation for it. What's offered is is God's presence in it. No explanation, no justification. The Bible never tries to justify evil in, the, in, in it. And so anytime Christians start saying, you know the reason this bad thing happened, is that the Bible doesn't, it does not go there. And God does not go there here. He doesn't say, well, the reason why you know, Cyrus got power, well, it's X, Y, Z. He doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he offers you and me his hand. Verse 13, for I, the Lord your God, I hold your right hand. It's I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. And so you have to, if you're going to navigate a world with a lot to fear, you have to, you have to receive him as king, you have to swallow the medicine, right? God's in control of history, and that's hard, hard things to swallow. And thirdly, take his hand. There's a great old African, uh, African-American spiritual um, called Precious Lord, Take My Hand. I've been listening to it all week. B.B. King, Aretha Franklin, YouTube it later. You know, you can thank me later. I mean, it's, it's an amazing song. And I wish I had like a deep black gospel voice. I'd sing it to you right now, but I don't. So it would be embarrassing for all of us if I were to do that. Um, but I do I want to read the lyrics as a, you know, as a white boy who can't do them justice. Uh, but they're powerful. Um, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm alone. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When my light is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. And that's, what, that's what Isaiah 41 is saying, is God, in the midst of our fears and evil, he says, take my hand. 
And what's, again, what's powerful about this is, I mean, this is, you think about this in light of Christmas, is that God doesn't shout at, that, at us down from heaven, right? Listen, you're going to go through some stuff. Just get over it. Like, let's, you know, be strong, right? It, that's, no, Jesus, he enters into our world. He plays by his own rules. He enters into evil and suffering and injustice himself. And when God, when Isaiah 41 says, take my hand, in light of Christmas, in light of Jesus, that's a far more powerful invitation than Isaiah, the people of Isaiah would have ever understood. And yet it's powerful here on its own terms. The God of the universe who controls all of history says, let me, let me navigate you through your entire life with my hand. And yet, like the, <clears throat> the reality is, you know, anytime I hold my child's hand, it's most likely I'm, it's because I want to take them a place they don't want to go. Right? They want to walk out into the street, or they want to, they want to you know, go play over there, and I, we need to go to the van, right? So I, God is going to take your hand, and he's going to take you places you don't want um, to go. But if you take his hand, two things will happen. And Isaiah 41 makes this really clear. If you take God's hand in the midst of suffering and evil, a couple of things happen. And the first, and this is weird, but just go, this is Isaiah's metaphor, not mine. But go, just stay with me for a minute. The first thing that will happen to you is that you will you will be changed from an insect into iron. Verse 14. God says to Israel, Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I'm the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. So God says to Israel, You are a worm. Which is not a compliment, but it's not quite the insult. We probably hear that. Like if you went home later and called a child, you know, one of your children a worm, like that would mean a very different thing than what God means here. And what he means when he says, Jacob, you're a worm, human beings, you are worms, is that we're weak, we're insignificant, we're, we're not strong. And especially you think of a worm in light of a conquering king or, you know, the, the, the face of incredible evil in this world. We're not very much up against all that. And so God just levels with us. Fear not, you worm. But then he goes on and he says, uh, I'm the one who helps you, your redeemer. Verse 15, behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. Now, again, my guess is this metaphor is lost on you because God's like, you're a worm, but you're going to be a threshing sledge. And we're like, I don't. I don't think I understand this. Um, well, thresh, what a threshing sledge was, was in that day, if you were going to separate um, from, from wheat, the, the, the grain from the stalk, you would have this board, and on the board would be little stones or pieces of iron that were very sharp, and you would, you would put the grain onto the, um, onto the threshing board, which we have a picture of um, up there, to, to get the sharpness would cut and, and, and cut the, the grain out of um, the stock. And, and so this is a powerful image God is saying, of, that's what I'm going to do with you. You're a worm. You can't cut anything. You're not sharp. And I'm going to make you into like a knife um, that, that cuts through a piece of meat. Right? Or a, a threshing sledge that cuts a piece of grain, which we, none of us have ever seen or, or resonate with. But God, he's actually going further than that. He's saying, those of you, if you take my hand, you're not just going to go from weak and insignificant a worm to some, you know, a threshing board that can thresh pieces of grain, you're actually, you're going to become uh, sharp, having teeth, and you will thresh mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You're going to be so strong, you, you could cut up a mountain. Like it's, and cut it to the, you're going to be so sharp, so strong, you can cut up a mountain to the, po- the point it's like chaff that the wind would blow Away. That, that's what God is, is saying. And, and listen, any experience 
Like the strongest people I know in life are people who have walked with God through pain or suffering. Right? Like they, have, they, they have a strength and a vitality and an outlook on life that's just different than everyone, than everyone else. And, and so we often we look at evil and we think there's not, that's horrible, it's bad, and it is. And yet it's the people who have gone through it with God are this, like, they thresh mountains. They're different. They stand out, right? And God says, if you take my hands in a, in a world of fear and you let me guide you through it, you will, you will move from a worm to a thresher of mountains. That's the first thing that, that happens. The second is, is that if you take his hand, suffering will never have the last word. And so, over the, you know, Isaiah, if you read through Isaiah 40 through 49, these images and these themes just kind of repeat themselves again and again. And one of the themes that, that's repeated again and again is how, how God will take a desert and make it into to an oasis. How he'll take the wilderness and make it into a forest, a place of, of teeming with life. And that's, that's where he goes next in verses 17 and 18. So when the poor and needy seek water and there's none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights, fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. And he goes on, he says more of that. And what he's saying is that if you take my hand, I will take the death of, the, the death of, of evil and the, the dryness and the thirst of, of the difficulties of this life, and I will make in you a, an oasis, water, living waters flowing out. I'll quench your thirst. That in the gospel, in Jesus, suffering never has the last word. And that's not, just, that's not true necessarily in this life, but it's true ultimately in, uh, in the new heavens and new earth. And that'll be our last, our last series in Advent, or sermon in Advent, the last Sunday in uh, December will be Isaiah talking about heaven, talking about the new heavens and new earth. God's what God promises to us. As we, he doesn't just look at, at this life, um, but he looks beyond and promises us that if we take his hand, there will be new life coming. So this morning, what are you, what are you afraid of? It's giving you anxiety. What, what do you fear? God's invitation to you is not that he'll take it from you. His invitation is, is let me have your, I knew this was coming. You may be surprised by all this. I'm not. Right? I'm the first. I'm the last. Take my hand um, and let's walk through it together. Right, go home. Let B.B. King sing Precious Lord to you later this afternoon. And yeah, there, as much as I love that song, um, it's technically not right. Because that song is, is us singing up to God. Like, God, I'm, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm alone. Please take my hand. And, and if Isaiah's true, what it means is before you and I ever sang to God, please take my hand, he already had his hand outstretched to us. Right? He had, before we ever look up to God and say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. God already had his hand outstretched to us saying, I'm the Lord, your God. I have your right hands. Right? It's I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. And we Christians, like, we have even more reason to believe this and know this to be true. Because we don't, like, this isn't just a God up in heaven inviting us to, into this life. It's, it's the God who sent his son into this world to, to know evil, to know injustice, to be afraid. <laughs> 
right? To go out into the wilderness and face down Satan alone for 40 days. To, to be in the midst of a crowd who mocked him and beat him and, and, and put him on a cross and killed him publicly, mocking him in front of all. Like, Jesus knows this. And so when God says, like, fear not, like, take my hand, it is a God who knows from the inside everything you and I have ever been afraid of or ever will be afraid of. It's not just that our God knows the future and knows what's ahead. He's experienced that fear. He knows what it's like. And our answer to to fear, our answer to what we're afraid of, to our anxiety, is this invitation of Isaiah 41, verse 13, to hear God speaking over us, I the Lord, your God, holds your right hand. And it's I who say to you, fear not, for I am the one who helps you. Let's pray. Father, we, we all come into this room with different fears. And we all come into this room anxious about different things. And so we, we open your word to Isaiah 41 and we trust the spirit of God to do the work of making this invitation real to each one of us, no matter what it is we face or we're going through or we, we are thinking about in life. We hear your invitation and Lord, help us to receive it. To take your hand and to navigate and walk through this life with your help. God, help us, strengthen us, uphold us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.